Hello and welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Jabosky. But before we get into the book, as usual, Corinne, what are you obsessing about this week? So I'm very excited to actually have things to talk about in this category this week. The benefit of us switching to this biweekly schedule and also picking a pretty short book to read means I was able to consume a lot of The luxury of time that we've had the last couple of weeks. No, it's so exciting. Again, not that this podcast is ever like hard. It is hard work, but it's enjoyable work. But that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I don't want to sometimes do things just on the cuff, not because I have to, which is sometimes the case of the podcast. But uh, so yeah, it was fun to be able to do some different things this week. So I have a couple of things to talk about. First, I watched over the last couple of weeks, the entirety of sex education on Netflix, just two seasons. I could not have loved it more. I don't know what my expectation was going into the show. I thought it was just going to be like a silly teen comedy, which it is in a lot of ways, but it also is incredibly poignant and touching and balances kind of like raunchy humor with just a lot of really heart-wrenching themes and and episodes and I just I could not have loved it more when is season three I need it ASAP so good it's so good it's such a good show I like am so floored at how good it was I I can't stop thinking about it yeah I I want more right now Um, did you recognize some of our friends from Emma in it I did recognize some of our friends from Emma in it which was very bizarre and weird to to see at first, like in the first episode, I was like, why does this Adam guy look so familiar? And I was like, oh, yeah, he's Robert <laughs> Martin and Emma. And then oh, what's her name on the show? I think it's Lily on the show is Mrs. Elton. Mm-hmm. And it was helpful because, as I've talked about before in the podcast, I got super into Bridgerton earlier this year. And my fav- one of my favorite Bridgerton books is the second one, which will be the focus of the next season of Bridgerton. And the actress who's cast to play the love interest in that is um, oh, yeah. in, uh, in Sex Education. And when I first started watching Sex Education, I was like, oh, she just does seem really young. And I know she's going to have to do some things on Bridgerton and it seems like kind of a disconnect but then I looked at the actor who played Adam and the actor who played Lily who were in Emma and I really do think that period costumes really add a lot of maturity and Mm -hmm. also all these actors who are in their mid-20s it's not like they're actual teenagers have gotten more mature as time has gone on so I'm sure it'll be fine but at first I was like oh this baby is gonna have to do sexy (laughs) things with Anthony Bridgerton and I don't know if I'm okay with that uh but it was so it was helpful to have that context with the Emma people be like okay she's gonna be good she's gonna be good uh so yeah it was delightful I can't wait to watch it again uh, and I also have a couple of books that I really liked in the last couple of weeks. One is a book called You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism. It is written by Amber Ruffin, who is a writer on Seth Meyers. She also has her own Peacock show now. And the co-author is her sister, Lacey Lamar. And it is told from the perspective of all of these stories that Lacey has when it comes to experiencing racism in her life. And it's told in that way because Amber, who lives in New York, has very different experience than Lacey, who lives in Nebraska. So Lacey's stories are just particularly kind of out there. And as it says on the cover of the book, crazy. And so it's a really good mix of very funny writing, but also just pure 
horrifying stories. And I really liked it a lot. Really recommend it to everyone. And also another pretty short read, which would have been shorter if I hadn't stopped like every few pages and handed the book to my husband. Be like, oh my God, you have to read this because he'd be like, why are you laughing aloud? I'm like, you just have to, you just have to read it. It was really good. Then the one other book I want to highlight is called Twice Shy by Sarah Hoggle. This is a book that's coming out, I think, on April 6th. Um, I got an advanced copy from Galleon Publisher, so thank you to them. It was just a really lovely love story. I don't know. Sometimes you just like read a love story that isn't even particularly smutty, which, as I've talked about before, I do like those types of books. But it's just one of those that kind of like sits in, sits in your heart and just you feel it for days afterwards. It was, again, very much a closed-door romance, but it's about this girl who's stuck in a life that she doesn't really love and finds out that her great aunt who she hasn't spoken to in 10 years has passed away and left her this manor in this huge estate. And so she quits her job. She's like, great, I'm going to go live there, start a new life and gets there and finds out she's not the sole inheritor. She has to share it with the groundskeeper, this very dishy man named Wesley. And it just was a really lovely love story. The, the, the prose was really unique and kind of funny. And she's very quirky. She's a big daydreamer and keeps escaping into this, as she calls it, coffee shop AU, where she like has created this whole little world for herself. And she always dissociates to that place to escape her real life. It also really touched on some issues of anxiety and particularly social anxiety, which I thought was really well done and interesting. Um, so yeah, it was really great. I'm going to buy it when it comes out in a couple weeks. And if you just want like a really touching love story, I recommend check it out. That was a lot. <laughs> but I, again, <laughs> I was really excited about all three of these things. So I wanted to talk about them. How about you, Tejo? What were you into this week? So my kid and I, we try to have at least one show that we're watching together at all times. So, um, and usually where our interests align is in like uh, cartoon comedies. So like your Futuramas and your Rick and Morty's and whatever. So we recently started rewatching Bob's Burgers together. So we've been doing that and it's been really fun. And um, I also read The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson, which is sort of like an alternate universe um, Puritan village kind of story with uh, magic and witchcraft and stuff. And it's, mm. it's really, it was, it was really good. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I asked a question about that really quickly. Yeah. I, so I have had an issue recently with books and media that as I call has like the handmaid's tale effect or vibe to it. These puritanical societies where like women are super repressed. I find them very difficult to, to read. I think mm-hmm. I, I, for some reason that just for me is something that's really hard. So is it, when you say it's like a puritanical type society, is it like kind of one like that? I mean, there's to- definitely, there's definitely vibes of that. Like Especially because um, in this society, men take multiple wives, and and all the wives get branded essentially mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like their their like God's mark. But on the other side, because like in in their religion, there's like two parts of it, right? There's the father and the mother, and the mother is like the the darkness and the evil and the witchcraft, and they're like the witches of the woods and this and that. So the the village follows the the father, but I mean, as as the story unfolds, you find out a lot of you know the hypocrisy in there and a Mm -hmm. lot of that gets dismantled. So the point of the story is essentially dismantling that like super patriarchal society that they're living in. And the, the heroine is really great. The love interest is also really great. He's like the son of the prophet. Mm 
Mm. and um, is actually like from the very beginning and not because of her is, is questioning the church even more than she is. So I appreciate that, that it wasn't like her being like, yeah. you know, showing him the light. Yeah. It was, it was almost the reverse. Yeah, so it almost. wasn't a, a, as a father and husband, I, I am against violence against women type situation <laughs> something like yeah. that. Right. Excellent. We love when a guy is, is he reaches his own conclusions. His own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there, there was that, and then Great. I also just started playing um, Paper Mario Origami King, and I don't know if anybody listening has played Paper Mar- any of the Paper Mario games before. Um, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, which was on GameCube, was maybe my favorite game of all time pre-Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. and so I have been very excited to get into a new Paper Mario game. The games are always really fun. They're more RPG than your typical Mario games. Um, they're very funny, like dialogue-wise. So, what gaming system is that on? Uh, that's on the Switch. Cool. Excellent. Well, look at us branching out, doing other things. It's very <laughs> feel so accomplished. I know. I, I, it's like not. I'm not really trying to consume media to like check off a list and be like, yes, I've done all these things, but it is nice when you actually get to do a lot and you're like, oh yeah, I really liked all of this. So happy for us. Love this journey for us. (laughs) But then we also got to read this book, Perks Being Wallflower, this week. Uh, As we said in our last episode, we wanted to take a quick break from fantasy after covering a big fantasy series and also wanted to touch upon a more of a, a YA classic. And um, I personally had never read or read this book or seen the movie. We and we should have said this at the beginning too. We did watch the movie, and we're going to talk about that at the end as well. Um, so this was all new for me. And um, what about you, TJ? I can't remember if you had watched or seen. Or I read. think I read it in high school, but I don't remember exactly if that's true. High school was a very long time ago for me. <laughs> So um, it's it's entirely possible I did. Uh, I definitely did watch the movie. I was working at a landmark theater when it came out. So nice. I saw it um, from there. But I, I think I read the book, but I just didn't remember very much of it. And I couldn't remember what I was remembering that was like the movie or memories of reading mm-hmm. the book. So nice. yeah. Well, good. We're coming in with like slightly different perspectives, which is not always the case with us here. We're usually like one track mind and have the same right. reading experiences with things. Um, as we always do, we're going to start with a quick book summary. And if you're, I guess, like me and had no um, relationship whatsoever with this text before maybe reading it or even just listening to this podcast cold, I wanted to give some trigger content warnings here because this book is definitely heavier than I anticipated it being before going in. And uh, so we just want to make an announcement that if things like sexual assault, child abuse, suicidal ideation, um, abusive relationships, rape, any of those things is, is a potential trigger for you. Um, exercise caution and listening to the rest of this episode. Uh, so with that, uh, we'll dive in and I'll do uh, a quick summary here and then we'll dive in. Carly is our narrator and writes the entire book as a series of letters to an unnamed, unknown individual he identifies as a friend. When the book starts, Charlie is about to start his freshman year of high school and is struggling to deal with the deaths of two people close to him, the recent suicide of his best friend, Michael, and the death of his Aunt Helen when Charlie was a child. Charlie is very observant and spends much of the book thinking about how others' lives have impacted them and what lessons he can take away from these observations. 
Charlie initially struggles in high school, but starts to come out of his shell and mature after he befriends step-siblings Patrick and Sam and is taken under the wing of his English teacher, Bill. Despite this growth, Charlie continues to struggle with depression and anxiety. As the school year goes on and Sam and Patrick prepare to graduate, Charlie becomes increasingly anxious. Throughout the whole book, Charlie has been in love with Sam, and the night before Sam leaves for college, they finally begin to embark on a more sexual relationship. However, when Sam moves to touch Charlie, he becomes incredibly uncomfortable, which ultimately dredges up a repressed memory of abuse he suffered at the hands of his Aunt Helen. Charlie is then hospitalized for two months, and when he is released, he writes one last letter to his unnamed friend in which he says he's going to stop writing so that he can more fully participate in his life. Then at Tasia and I both read the 20th anniversary edition of this book, which includes an epilogue of sorts, which is a letter from Charlie to this unnamed friend again, 20 years after the fact. And in this letter, uh, the adult Charlie thanks the unnamed friend for disseminating his letters and creating a community of people who can share their experiences and work to support each other. To all the people who are struggling, Charlie tells them that it does get better. So thanks to Sparknotes for really giving me a lot of that summary, by the way. Again, I always like to credit my, my sources because this is, uh, I would say, way more of a character-driven book than a plot-driven book, I guess. Would you agree with that? I mean, things happen, but it's more, to me, like a series of vignettes than like just random observations. Yeah, I like to, I like to think of it as like a like a snapshot of, of a life, but basically it's it's just his freshman year and him learning to make friends, essentially. Right. So I guess I think we said we were going to start today, which is an idea given to me by the discussion questions included in the back <laughs> of the edition of the book I read, which is uh, talking about the format of this book and how that worked for us. So this is an epistolary novel. It's told solely in the form of letters, but it's really only one set of letters. It's just Charlie's letters to this, again, called friend, but it's not even someone we think that Charlie even knows. It's just someone he heard is a kind and receptive person, and he decides to start sending letters to this person. Uh, so what did you think of that format? I mean, I definitely think it has its limitations, which we will discuss later, mm -hmm. um, because you're so deep in Charlie's POV and because it's harder to get, I guess, conversational or relay uh, incidents as they happen because it's you're all writing to this and Charlie is writing to this person that he doesn't actually know, like you said. So you do, I think, miss some some emotional beats in the story because of that. But I think it works for Charlie. You see him grow, like not just in in himself, but in his his writing and his abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I liked that. I think we both noted that that his writing gets more. I don't want to say coherent, but it gets stronger, I think, as the novel goes on. There's a lot of more simplistic like, st sentence structure at the beginning and towards the mm -hmm. end. It, it feels a little, a little bit more complex, which is a very clever way to track his growth as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I really liked that, too. And I, one of the things I really liked about it, and particularly from the perspective of like the name of the novel and that Charlie is the wallflower here. And so this format really works for that purpose because it is a great way for him to stand back and observe and ruminate on things. And I like the letter format for kind of what is one of the big themes of the novel is Charlie kind of looking at other people's lives and wondering about how it's kind of shaped those people and, and 
how you can navigate beyond the experiences that you have. And, you know, for me, I always like writing things out is easier for me to process things a lot of times. That's why we do things like show notes before we record these episodes, because it's easier to, for me at least, to write things out. And so you can see him doing that more. And I think it's maybe more poignant or more thought out in a way because he's had a chance to stop, pause, think about it. And now is taking the time to write about it. Yeah. I think it is a really interesting way to get into his head and uh, particularly with Charlie, because he is a uh, depressive and, and he's going through so many things. It's an interesting way to see how his, his brain works. So like really mm-hmm. to see how he interprets interactions between other people as he's being that, that wallflower. And he's mm-hmm. just doing a lot of observing and he, just the way he he interprets things is really interesting. And the way that he kind of translates that into his own life, I think is, yeah. is a really interesting. The letters are a really interesting way to look at that. Yeah. One of while we're here, one of the other discussion questions, I guess I'm just like lifting from that, but it does pose <laughs> interesting questions of like the fact that this is this unnamed, unknown person that again, Charlie doesn't even know. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, like the idea that he put that trust into it. And I this book was written in what, nineteen ninety-nine? Uh, yeah. so you know, things are a little different than it's written in nineteen ninety-nine. The letters are dated the nineteen ninety-one, nineteen ninety-two school year. So it's a little bit different than how this might go now, right? Now in twenty twenty one, I feel like a kid like Charlie might turn to the internet and maybe like an anonymous mm. forum of some point, which could honestly lead to all sorts of other either problems or it could have been beneficial in some way to have someone be able to reciprocate more. But I think the idea of him just sending something to an unknown person versus even just like writing in a diary, it's kind of like the same thing, but it's not because I think it's the knowledge that someone was receiving those and presumably reading them, I think is something that is helpful for Charlie. The idea Mm -hmm. that someone is there to actually listen to him, even if it's someone he doesn't know. So I liked that. uh, that It's almost like one foot in one foot out, right? Like he's, he's being told he needs to participate more and he needs to develop these more intimate relationships with people. But I think those letters are really, uh, kind of dipping your toe in the water way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You're that's a, that, sharing with people, but anonymously. Right. Well, and that's a good point then too, for, you know, the end of the book where Charlie decides he's no longer going to write letters. He's going to more actively participate. And so I think that's ex- kind of exactly what you said. It's a good kind of stepping stone for him mm-hmm. to, to wade into the waters, as you said. Um, so I like that a lot. And then I think, the next and the most logical place to start is just talking about Charlie and how he's depicted in this book because I loved him. (laughs) First of all, you can't read this book and not be like incredibly empathetic from like day one. I mean, you Mm -hmm. find out about in the very first letter, you find out about Michael's suicide and it's like, Oh shit. Like, okay, this is where we're at in this book. I just think it's so, so well done in terms of depicting the ebb and flow of his mental health, the good days, the bad days. I think what is that one quote uh, at some point he thinks about like, I'm happy and sad at the same time and trying to figure out why that is. Mm -hmm. I thought all that was so well done. 
yeah, his his ruminations on on like his dissociative behaviors sometimes where he thinks about just wanting to like disappear and go away. And it's all very like I don't know, like accurate to that experience, I guess. Coming right. from somebody who who also has some like, you know, depressive episodes and stuff. It feels very, very true. Yeah. And like how his anxiety would ramp up around certain things like that made a ton of sense. And I do think too, you know, as we said at the beginning, this is a darker book than I think a lot of YA typically is written. And it's again, hard to sit here in 2021 and ruminate about what things were like in 1999 when this book came out. But I feel like this had to be pretty new and different at the time. And I feel like it even, I mean, we both read a lot of why obviously we're here and I don't think that any, it's hard to think of other books that kind of really dive in to the mm-hmm. level and extent that this does and does so in such a very believable way. So I think that's really invaluable in a lot of ways. And I can totally see why if you read this as a teenager, how it can be so important, so validating. Or yeah. even as an adult, you you see it, it's such a real visceral depiction of depression and anxiety, and that's it, it, like I said so re- so relatable and so so well done. I think. And I one of the things I like too, and again in terms of Charlie observing others, there's just some like moments for me that, like again these little vignettes. Some of them are just like, really particularly impactful for me, like. On Christmas, he's with his extended family and they're watching It's a Wonderful Life. And he thinks about how interesting it would be if the story was told about Uncle Billy. So Uncle Billy is the one who loses the money. um, And George Bailey tries to save the day to kind of cover for this huge mistake that uh, Uncle Billy makes. He says, I wanted the angel to come down and show us how Uncle Billy's life had meaning. Then I think I'd feel better. It's just like, yeah. oh my God. Like, you he's not wrong. He's not <laughs> wrong at all. So like having those, those moments like that, just really, I, I thought that was really impactful and really well done. Yeah. And then I also liked to, the contrast between those, those kind of lower moments and then the more, the moments of joy that he experiences and like his friendships particularly with Patrick and Sam. And because of how well-written those more depressive episodes were depicted, when you had like pure moments of joy, you really like felt that. At least I did. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is is some of those moments are even more impactful in the book than they are in the movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, some things they work better in movies and told through... Charlie's memories than they are like on the screen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I mean, there's like him talking about like, you know, oh, maybe these are my glory days and you just never know until, until it's over. Like that's, that's so true for like everything, mm-hmm. like high school. I mean, everything feels like shit in the moment. And then later when you look back on it, it feels like these really big, important, impactful moments in your life. And I really liked the, the ruminations on that. Yeah, and one of I think one of the things though that I did like is that yes, that takeaway of like okay, there are some big moments, but it seemed to me that the moments that ultimately were going to have the biggest impact on Charlie were some of those more moments of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, when I the oh my god, the Christmas party when 
Patrick gives him the suit because he said all good writers have a suit and then Sam gives him a vintage typewriter. I just like couldn't handle it. And that whole scene was just like about everybody feeling so seen, like Charlie feeling so seen by Sam and Patrick and everybody else feeling so seen by Charlie, by the very specific gifts he gives everybody. And you can see them all kind of react to that and realize like how much he really does know that. Like, yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. And I think it's so important to, again, when you look at this book in terms of the intended audience, which is young adults, to show that like you're going to find people who who know you and who get you and then you're going to get them and that's going to be really really helpful and impactful for you so mm-hmm. yeah that scene both in the book and the movie just mm-mm. yeah nope very <laughs> very well done very upsetting uh but like in a good way like good upsetting yeah one of the other things too we relate from charlie's perspective is the positioning of himself like within his own family and what that meant, like, I'm always kind of a sucker for familial dramas, like character-driven family novels. I think I said on a previous episode that, like, during the pandemic times, I have struggled more with character-driven novels, but I used to read a lot of them, like, Commonwealth by Anne Pepta is one that, like, comes to mind of, like, the idea of generational trauma and family issues. And I really like Charlie thinking about that here. I think he thinks at one point about how like it was so interesting about how his family all loved each other. They didn't really like each other. And Mm -hmm. that I thought those ruminations in particular were really interesting to me because so much of when you're a kid, your sense of identity comes from your family. And so for Charlie to look at his, his parents who have both seemingly been through a lot of shit, his, his grandparents, his everyone in his family um, has gone through some things. And so him thinking about that and how that will impact him and how you know his parents were impacted by all that, that was really interesting. Charlie actually thinks a lot about generational trauma and like cyclical mm-hmm. trauma in this book. And it's it kind of becomes like a running theme here because he he thinks about his mom and his aunt, his aunt being abused by their father and then his aunt going on to get into relationships with men that were abusive mm-hmm. and you know later on with the with the sexual abuse too how that had become like a a cyclical thing too yeah well on his 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 dad's side of the family his dad was married or his mom was married to an abusive man who abused his sister and how his dad escaped from that and how he continued to feel like guilt about that and how Mm -hmm. his relationship with his sister was like forever altered by that. Yeah. I'm like Charlie thinking about his place in all of that and how can you break free of that? Right. He thinks, he thinks a lot about like the people in the family that have made it or the people that everyone considers like sees will not make it. Mm-hmm. Or whatever that means. But he thinks about like his cousins. Like they some of his family members pay a lot more attention to one of the cousins than the others because they see him as having a way out, a way out of this generational trauma and the poverty and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. So they they focus more on him to help that cousin lift himself out of it because they don't see the other ones as having a chance, which is really interesting. But seeing Charlie kind of sit back and watch all of this happen is yeah, I thought that like the grandfather stuff was really interesting. This grand, his mom's 
dad who abused mm. her and Aunt Helen. Not, he, he was more like violent and in, in, in like, you know, you have to have good grades, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And like, he never tells his, Charlie's mom that he's proud of her, but like tells Charlie it once in a very offhanded way. Yeah. And like, which is a really interesting way to think about particularly how older generations handle things. And the grandfather was that way because he had to like, you know, work at a, uh, go to a factory three times a day to try to even get a job. And he like swore that his kids would never have to do that. And so it's like the messed up way that your brain reacts to a lot of that stuff is something to, to, you know, again, really think about. And obviously he came out of that situation in one way. And then Charlie's mom and Aunt Helen came out of it in kind of two different ways. Yeah. And then Charlie, how's he going to come out of it? And the end of it is, you know, hopeful, but yeah, so that was all really interesting. And then I also thought too, Charlie's ruminations on like love and relationships amongst people was really interesting, but also I felt like not as strong to me in terms of some of the generational or family trauma stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he kind of is looking at all these people in his high school and like wondering if they're happy in their relationships and then Patrick says some kind of weird things about it, which I can't even remember at, at this point about how like women, like the challenge of thinking that they can like change men. And that part of the book didn't work for me as, as well. Right. And I, I think the teen romances here on a whole didn't work for me as well. Not because they weren't realistic, but because I didn't feel like they were flushed out as much as again, some of this other stuff. Yeah, what you thought. I mean, yeah, uh, the romance really isn't. I mean, th- there are good moments, but mm-hmm. they're like brief moments, and I and, and I really just don't think that they're at all the f- <laughs> the focus, and right. they're just not given very much time. Um, I think the the fallout of these relationships is given more time than like the actual romantic element of them, which is fair because that is very high school as well, right? I do love uh, Charlie thinking about, I think at one point he thinks, I hope Brad and Patrick decide to make up and dance in front of the whole school and that Alice is secretly a lesbian and in love with Brad's girlfriend, Nancy, and vice versa, so nobody feels left out. I mean, that's kind of all of us though, right? Like Charlie said, make it gay. He's sitting back there just like shipping. Yeah. Shipping his little heart out. I love that too. Yeah. And I agree. The fallout is so much more important. You know, I think one of the things though, at the end of the day for me is that like Charlie like wants to know like how people interact in a more romantic sense. And I don't think he ever gets there, which is fine. Cause none yeah. of the day in high school, like you're not going to get there. A lot I of think people are adults a- are going to even get yeah. there. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I think, I think he spends a lot of it um, kind of observing these relationships as almost like a, um, like a nature scientist, you know, like mm-hmm. he's like here we we observe the the wild teenager in in its natural habitat, and but he's not really putting the like emotional work into it, which is how I mean, which is why shit gets fucked up between him and Mary Elizabeth. Because oh my he, god, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that briefly because both in the movie and the book, the truth or dare scene where. <laughs> Charlie's like dating Mary Elizabeth and he doesn't like Mary Elizabeth, but he cannot extricate himself from this relationship. And they're playing truth or dare. And he only will choose dare because he does not want to have to deal with the truth. He doesn't want to be the logical fallacy here. I know. (laughs) 
what he does. So then Patrick dares him to kiss the prettiest girl in the room. And Charlie decides, well, I'm not going to, I can't be dishonest. Instead of kissing Mary Elizabeth, he kisses Sam. It is so cringe. It is so upsetting. I mean, in in the book and in the movie, I'd spend both of those scenes with my hands over my face being like, ah, no. (laughs) Well, I texted Tasia, too, as I was watching the movie. Uh, My husband was in the room. He's never read the book nor seen the movie. And he was kind of like only half paying attention. But he caught that part and just started yelling, no, Charlie. (laughs) Totally embarrassing. So, so upsetting. But then it's really hard afterwards when... They basically, Patrick's like, you got to like take a break from our group for a while because you've judged up some shit between Mary Elizabeth and Sam and you just got to take a step back, which is really hard for Harley to be separated from kind of like his only lifeline in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways in this book. So that's really upsetting too. And that's when we really get these moments of anxiety too from Charlie, right? Like his dissociation starts getting really bad during that time. And he's even writing about it in his letters being like, it's getting bad again. I might have to go to the hospital. And yeah. And I'm like, I understand why they, they needed a break from him because what he did is totally not cool. And it, it did stir some shit, but at the same time, like they they kind of abandoned him and And you even get it before that too. So Charlie's birthday is on Christmas Eve. And so, you know, Sam and Patrick go out of town for Christmas and he thinks like, I really hope they call for my birthday and they don't. And that, really causes him to spiral. And I, I don't think that's an indictment necessarily as Patrick and Sam as friends. I do think that they do care about Charlie a lot, but they're also idiot teenagers. And, right. you know, they, I'm sure they just didn't think about it, but those moments felt really real too. Even when you're like an adult, little things like that can really get to you. And it, to see that in, again, in a teen novel is, it was really upsetting. It was really sad for, for Charlie. Well, speaking of his birthday, though, I think this may be a good time to talk about the Aunt Helen stuff because that is kind of like the big ultimate, like, re- I guess, reveal at the end of the novel. Mm-hmm. It's the abuse that Charlie suffered. And so by way of background, Charlie's birthday is Christmas Eve, as I said, and Aunt Helen died in a car accident on his birthday after she left to go get Charlie his birthday present. And throughout the book, you you hear about how he had this very close relationship with Aunt Helen and how Aunt Helen seemed to be the only one who kind of really understood or got him. And again, with that Christmas birthday, she was the only people, one of the only people who got him like two gifts, like a birthday gift and a Christmas gift. And so she was like, I'm going to get your second gift. And that's when she died in this car accident. So it's really, really upsetting. And then you find out at the end that actually she had sexually abused Charlie and he had repressed memory we also learned that after she dies that's the first time charlie is hospitalized so he's like a little kid and has to go to the hospital so i like to see you about this afterwards i felt like yes like there were seated moments like leading up to it so it wasn't like surprising i don't i just don't love how the book handled that and because and i say that because we get this reveal then there's like a two-month time break and then we just get a three-page letter to the front, and that's the end of the novel. So we don't see Charlie really, like, process it too much. And I felt like that kind of did a disservice to the story and the growth 
that I, as a reader, was feeling with him to that point. I guess I just kind of wanted to see more, maybe. And it could have been my own fault, too, because I have this 20th anniversary edition. It has all these bonus materials in the back. So I'm like reading along and I think I can see more pages. So I think there's more coming. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, okay. We don't have any more about this. Yeah. So it kind of felt like plot twisty to me in a way that it was just kind of like, oh, like, and this is what this actually was. And I think for me, if they're going to handle it that way, I, I I would have just preferred to read about a kid just struggling with depression for all the many other reasons that were certainly valid foundations of his depression or thing that made him more depressive than anxious. So it just like, didn't really work for me. And one of the things too, which kind of seems to me that it was kind of meant to be a surprise or kind of like a twist. So one of the discussion questions in the back of the book is like, were you surprised by this? And I'm like, Really? Like, mm-hmm. you're trying to, like, pull one over on your readers about, like, child abuse? So, I just, I didn't love it. It kind of worked better for me in the movie. We'll, we can talk about that later. But that's kind of where I landed on that. I don't know. I, I, I saw those a little bit. I mean, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning of, like, the limitations of the letter writing format. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, unpacking it in a different way would not have felt authentic to the letter writing. So, mm-hmm. that that is just, I think, one of the limitations of it. As far as it feeling like a twist, I I don't see it. I mean, I I get that a little bit, but I think just the nature the nature of repressed memories is they are a twist, you know, um, right. because we're so deep in Charlie's POV. I mean, it's a, it's it's a twist to him, so it's it's by its nature a twist to us. I don't think those things should be used in that way. Like, it's not a great device to use like child molestation as a twist, but I don't really, I see it as more of a, of a repressed memory thing. Um, I also had like a very similar experience with repressed memories in high school where something came out and it was like, it was very much a surprise, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and a, a big spir- spiral afterwards. So to me, that felt authentic to the letter writing format and to the nature of repressed memories. Right. It, it's yeah. not great as as to use like narratively, but it is authentic to the experience. I feel yeah. like so that's that's kind of where I land on it. Yeah, and and I I agree with all that. I think I just wanted more from it then because again, I go back to look at who this is an intended book for, and it's teens. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're watching Charlie go through all of this and it's, it's a lot of it is so upsetting and you're really invested in his journey. So then to not really get to see him process that further felt like for me as someone in my thirties, I was like, I, I want to know mm. that he's okay. And I feel like if you're a teen, like what's the takeaway? Like, yeah. okay. Like how does, how does Charlie move past that? Can he, what, what is he going to do? And yes, I do think his last letter to the friend is very hopeful, Right, which is only in in the twentieth anniversary thing. I mean, I really think because I I do agree on some levels with your take on it too. I think so much could have been done by having an epilogue, like an actual epilogue in the original book that was not within that letter writing format. That was really kind of dive way more into that stuff. I think separating from and it would have made sense narratively too to separate at the end from that letter writing formula Mm -hmm. and do something else to as an epilogue it would have made so much sense but yeah I think I think really what this is and like I said earlier it's 
it's a snapshot, you know, and I think that's right. kind of what it is for this too. It's not necessarily about unpacking the trauma. It's about seeing it, yeah. like reading that maybe and being like been there or, right. you know, and yeah. especially when you're in your teens, it's not always, <laughs> you're not really necessarily unpacking a lot of that yeah. stuff then. Yeah. And so I think what exactly kind of what you just said is really what this novel is about is kind of like, the idea that you're not alone and that other mm-hmm. people are going through things. And so I thought all of that in a lot of ways was done really well. And we'll talk again about some other issues I have with that in a minute. But for me, just to like kind of, well, again, like I said, I don't want to like keep going down this path, but like, I just feel like it wasn't enough. And the fact that kind of, as you said, 20 years later, we're throwing in a letter that's like, yeah, like I'm here to tell you, like it gets better. Like, maybe put that in there like originally because right. that I think could have been helpful or some sort of spin. And I don't want to get too much in the movie yet, but like in the movie, you see more of the hospitalization, which I think is mm-hmm. helpful and really kind of establishes the, uh, what he goes through in the hospital versus yeah. in the book. It's like, okay, yeah, I was in the hospital for two months and that sounded glib. I didn't mean to sound glib. He does kind of talk about what he experienced in the hospital, but I, I feel like it, I kind of use a little more. Yeah, um, which I think um, the movie is is better at that because it's a different yeah. media yeah, medium. Totally. So, you know, you're you're not stuck to that exactly letter thing. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I agree. Yeah, so I think that's a good then segue into my I guess my personal other issue with the letter writing format is how it limits the um, I guess the introspection into other people's trauma. So. Charlie obviously has a lot going on. And again, the big vibe of this book is everyone else is going through things and you're not alone in that. And that's a great message. I didn't like how there was just so much that all these other characters had gone through. And then it's not really addressed a lot. I spent a lot of time thinking about this since I finished the book a few days ago. I've read some reviews on Goodreads and elsewhere kind of like talking about it. And what I think in a lot of ways it comes down to for me and I guess I should give some examples like for instance Patrick um is gay and is in a hidden secret relationship with Brad the the quarterback of the football team and because Brad doesn't want it to be known that he is queer and that's a big plot point for him Sam was sexually abused as a child that's a big plot point for her you know we have all this abuse of his family members too Charlie's sister who I didn't really realize it until she had a name in the movie. Um, but the fact that she is unnamed and just referred to as sister in the book retroactively like bothers me. Yeah. Uh, she has a boyfriend who hits her and then she gets pregnant and has an abortion and continues to see this guy for a while. So like, there's a lot of other things going on with all of these characters. And I, I read a review on Goodreads. I don't necessarily agree, but I can't get the phrase out of my mind, which was like that the book kind of plays trauma bingo. It's like, here's all these other instances of trauma. And yes, obviously students in high school experience all of these things. I just felt like with, again, this is a limitation of the narrative style, but I just feel like without really diving into a lot of that, I think it did a lot of it a disservice. And one other point on that is comparing how, in particular, the female characters are addressed compared to Patrick. Patrick is probably the only other character by Charlie besides Charlie, who I feel like has a very clear arc in this book. When 
Brad's dad catches them and then Brad pretends at school that he has is nothing to Patrick and they get in this horrible fight in the lunchroom with all of these people. After that, we see Patrick with Charlie. Charlie goes with him as, as Patrick kind of works through that. And Patrick comes to a place at the end where he's like, I'm going to college and like things are going to be better in college. And I love that for Patrick. It's great. I don't see that any of the female characters are given the same chance to go through any of that processing, particularly Sam's in retrospect is to me, like, I, I don't, there's one little paragraph where she's like, why do I let men be mean to me? I'm not going to do that anymore. But we don't see her get to that point. I think the book wants you to think like, okay, she was abused as a kid. That's why she keeps making bad choices and poof, it's okay. So it gives some characters, side characters an arc, but not other characters. Just felt like it was it was too much, too many serious topics being car- er, covered with not enough care given to them. It's kind of where I yeah. landed on it. I think Sam kind of suffers from a little bit of the manic pixie dream girl thing. She's kind of there to be like adventurous and and tempting to Charlie, you know, and, and to yeah. be that like cute, quirky uh, female friend that he has. I did get the sense though that she like because she she mentions that or mentions that she had been abused as a child. And then she she talks about what a rough freshman year she had. Yeah. And I think that was kind of meant to be like, oh, this is when she went through it. Like Patrick had that in this book because it was taking place at that time. And um uh Charlie was kind of a participant in it. Like he went out with Patrick and uh self-destructed with him while Patrick kind of moved through this this thing that had happened between him and Brad. Mm-hmm. Whereas when um, Sam was doing all of that, that was in freshman year. And it talks about how she had self-destructed for a while. And then it feels like she kind of got through it, but it's never really talked about. And she's still dating douchebags. But with her, I don't feel like she is in the same position as like, Charlie's sister, where mm-hmm. she's dating a douchebag, he's abusing her, and she's staying with him right. until until he dumps her when she gets pregnant. With right. Sam, she's dating this guy who is douchey, but doesn't seem to be outwardly cruel to Sam in any yeah. way until she he is forced to admit that he's been cheating on her this whole time. Right. And she dumps him, and she doesn't go back to him. Yeah, So that doesn't feel this in the same, like, where she's she's she doesn't seem to be self destructing on mm-hmm. that on that level anymore because she saw a bad thing that she was involved in and got out of it. Sam's, I guess, arc is better than the sisters, I think for sure. And I guess this is a limitation too of a male writer writing female characters. There's some instances in this book where I think it's very well done and. Uh, some one of my f- favorite spoon-worthy moments to talk about to the extent that there is spoon in this novel has to do with like a photograph of Sam and this like, kind of idea of the female gaze versus the male gaze. And I think that's all like very well done, particularly though, like the sister storyline. I think you noted this here and sorry to steal your notes here, but like, I think it is great. Like in a book that you assume more boys are going to pick up because it's the male protagonist. Like for them to talk about abortion, mm. that's great. What I don't love about how that storyline is executed in this book, though, is that again we don't see his sister 
in any way kind of process through a, her abusive relationship and the fact that she has to that she has an abortion and everyone has different reactions to that like absolutely but like where we end with her is like again this is in a nutshell like a very great message like she says to charlie when he's in the hospital like i she's like i feel bad like i'm just concerned about what college is going to be like that's nothing compared to what you've gone through and he's he's like no i mean everyone's issues are valid which is great Mm -hmm. i love that in a nutshell but like she also went through like some shit in this book so like i just i i don't i didn't love that there's some really nice moments with charlie he takes her to have the abortion they have some great moments um involved in that i just like i didn't i didn't like that like we didn't get more of that again and that's totally i think an issue with the narrative style of the book but then like what's the takeaway for a teen boy who reads this book right like okay well Mm -hmm. she like gets herself out of that relationship and she um has an abortion and like who's gonna go to college cool like so i mean (laughs) if you're gonna put that in there like Again, for a YA audience, like, let's give them a little bit more. And then, again, I don't want to jump to the movie too much. The fact that that's not in there works better for me because it. I'd rather have it not there than there and not given the care and concern it should be. Really, I thought the movie gave her less <laughs> because she had this abusive relationship and then suddenly she's like, I'm going stag. That, that part it, of it. it I did not like. Yes, it was very weird to me. I thought that she was. At least, I mean, yeah, she wasn't given very much in in like you said, it's a limitation of the narrative style. Um, I did like the scene though. I liked the abortion scene. Oh, yeah. I liked I liked Charlie's thoughts on it. I I think it is good for boys to read because um, he you know Sam kind of at, at one point explains to him about like rape culture you know like sometimes these things happen but people don't report it because it's hard to prove and so you just get kind of stuck in that in that position and that's a good I think thought at least it it doesn't get explained very much it doesn't get delved into as deeply as it probably warrants but it is a thought that's put out there um I also like Charlie's ruminations on on the way that men look at women and in the way that mm-hmm. they put them on pedestals and then punish them for not living up to their standards. Yeah. I think those are very mature thoughts for a mm-hmm. 15 year old to have. Absolutely. So I appreciated that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not given enough room. Yeah. I, I think it just, for it, it kind of like walks a line, like the rape stuff too. I kind of forgot about like how there's like just one scene where Charlie is like a kid or younger and his older brother and sister have a party and he's in his bedroom and a, a couple comes in and the guy rapes the girl and Charlie realizes in talking about this with Sam and Patrick, Oh, that was rape. Should we tell someone? And then it's like never really dressed again. So for me, it's mm-hmm. kind of like walking a fine line between addressing serious topics, which is great. And again, I think needs more room in YA and kind of like rape and sexual abuse is a plot device. So it's like, I feel like it's bringing it up, but then not, like almost almost bringing it up in like a textbook kind of sense, you know, like yeah. it's, these are things that happen, but we're not yeah. going to like get deeper into that. That'll be in chapter five. <laughs> exactly. It, it, that's a really good way to put it. And I do think too, again, you have to look at this as written in the 90s. I feel like mm-hmm. in the 90s, this was probably like, oh, look, I'm, I'm 
talking about a lot of things in my book and like it's very kind of edgy like I'm so boundary breaking and I feel like 20 20 plus years later we have different understanding about how some of these things should be and a higher bar which we should have yeah oh and I do want to say one more thing I guess about the sister and the one of the the lines that is in and of itself like a beautiful line in this book which is that we accept the love we think we deserve that comes from Bill Charlie's teacher when Charlie like reveals to him that his sister has this boyfriend who's hitting her I like the line I just again it kind of it kind of goes to that point of like it's never really followed up on like and that's not really like Charlie's struggle here he's not like struggling to like accept love in his life like he's dealing with other things so it kind of just again to me highlights how like the sister is being used as like she has these serious issues but like we're not Mm -hmm. really gonna talk about it much um I like in the movie again different he says that to Sam at the end Mm -hmm. why she's like kind of He's following these same houses, this guy. So I kind of like how it was used better. In the- Let's talk briefly about Bill, the teacher, who props to Bill. He's great. So he's like a mentor to Charlie in a lot of ways. He keeps giving him books to read and having Charlie write like, these extra essays about him. And he thinks like Charlie is very, very talented. And he says to him at one point, I just want you to know you're very special. And the only reason I'm telling you that is I don't know if anyone else ever has. Which, oh, um, I love it so much. Everyone deserves a bill teacher at least once in their life. So have good. you have you ever had a bill? I don't think I've ever had a bill, honestly. But I had a bill for my world history teacher in junior year. That's yeah. Best teacher. But I'm I don't know that I ever really I don't know if I ever really did. Although I did have teachers that um like after we graduated, like we went and got pizza with and things like that, like that summer before we went away to college. Um, which <laughs> brings up like I was very nervous that Bill was going to end up not being a good guy. <laughs> and it's funny because I, I was texting you this. I had presumably read the book before and I have seen the movie. So I knew that he wasn't, but I still was like, don't go to his house, Charlie. <laughs> like, I'm just primed to like. Well, and again, because we are, there were seeds planted about child abuse. Like we yeah. have the book. I thought it was going to be Bill. So because I, I was like, oh God, he's gonna go to his house. I'm like, I don't I don't care for that. Um <laughs> I don't like that at all. Yeah. So that ended up working out well. But I, can we then also just briefly talk about uh before we get into I think the movie here, the last confrontation with Sam in the book. So before they start kissing, making out and like moving towards other activities, Sam calls Charlie out and says, You can't just sit there and put everybody's lives ahead of yours and think that counts at loves you counts as love you just can't you have to do things and so yes on a larger scale that's like a good rumination of charlie like journey through this book about like trying to be more present in his life but also sam told him early in the book like you can't fall in love with me like you can't have those feelings for me right right i you and i are in complete agreement on this i think that quote should have just stopped in the beginning part where she's like you can't just sit back and think that you know, doing things for other people or whatever is, is love. Like yeah. you can't, nobody can feel that necessarily. That's, that's fair. You know, don't be a passive participant in your own life. That's a good lesson, but yeah, continuing on being like, you know, when he says, well, um, you told me not, you know, that there wasn't a chance. And she says, well, I also told you not to call Mary Elizabeth pretty and to, and to not interrupt her. And I was wrong about that. It's, well, that's not his fault. You know, you. <laughs> yeah. 
that she was wrong about that. And, and she set up very firm boundaries I felt with him in the beginning and kept it very respectfully friends. And then at the end to be like, why haven't you tried to hook up with me? Yeah. It was very bizarre. And I think again, maybe that feeds into, to me, like I agree with everything you're saying about like Sam's arc versus the sister's arc too. And like how Sam does have more stuff there. But I think like that, to me, just kind of came out of nowhere. And then I'm like, who is Sam? Do I know Sam? Like, I don't know if I know Sam. And like, <laughs> again, is this like a reflection of like a male author trying to write a female character and mm-hmm. it's like didn't go as well? Um, and we can talk then about the book versus movie. We're depicting on Sam here in a couple of seconds. But yeah, I just was like, what is 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 happening here? Poor Charlie. Um, I think it is moment. kind of a reflection of a male author writing um a teenage female character um it's also a reflection of a little bit of that manic pixie dream girl thing yeah and um just kind of unintentionally a reflection of teenage girls in general yeah like when you're when your feminism isn't necessarily developed and you're yeah. All the way, you know, and you've got the seeds of these ideas in here, but they're not fully developed. So in on one hand, you might be like, oh, you know, no means no. And then on the other hand, be upset that this guy isn't like trying to get with you. Yeah. No, which that's, is very, that's, point. that's a very, teen- I don't think that was an intentional thing on, <laughs> yeah. on the author's beha- like part, you know, I think yeah. that is just kind of accidentally that, true, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I guess then, if, unless you have any other big book thoughts, segue into the movie here, which was written and directed by Stephen Chbosky. So he gets like a second bite at the apple here. Uh, yeah. So like, he, who, who gets that? Yeah. So he gets like, um, this is 12 years after, 13 years after the fact, 2012, the movie came out. So he gets a chance to, I guess, kind of change some things, improve on some things. I think Sam is in some ways for me, an improvement, at least in terms of like that last moment with her and Charlie. Yeah. And maybe that's a, a sign of evolution and growth on the part of Stephen Chbosky that she isn't quite as just the, like oh, such a 180 from her. At the mm-hmm. end there. So that part of the movie worked really well for me in terms of kind of how it was changed in that like she, she seems more it's more like a natural evolution of her and Charlie. She's not like mad at him. She's just like, no, I actually like now I'm like re- ready to potentially be like interested in you in that way. So I mm-hmm. liked that aspect of things. Um, that said, I like that. Dis- I think it's despite Emma Watson in this movie. <laughs> I mean, okay. So this is like hard because for me, Emma Watson, like it's, this is the nature of like how I've grown up. A, I don't think she's the best actress in the world, but B, like, I think she's going to be very miscast in anything that isn't Hermione Granger. I'm sorry. It's just the cross she has to bear. And I think the reason I I feel that way about her versus like some of her co-stars is that she's not the best in the world. But like this movie yeah. just felt like. I think she works look, as I Hermione love- because she is Hermione, you know? Right. Like it's felt- not that much of a stretch. Right. Like her trying to play like this, like cool quirky girl is like. Yeah. A very accent did not really work for me in a lot of ways i think they do lean a little bit harder into the manic pixie dream girl thing in the movie i think that's kind of a byproduct of it being in 2012 when the manic pixie dream girl was at its like peak yeah but in like you said in other ways she is more developed so 
Yeah. You know, I'll take a little extra Manic Pixie Dream Girl for yeah a more developed Sam. Yeah. So I like that aspect of things. We got to talk about the absolutely brilliant casting of both Logan Lerman and Ezra Miller. So in this movie, I like cry right now thinking of that last <laughs> scene of like Charlie's breakdown. The movie. Oh my God. Logan Lerman, man. He so, does not so. get enough work. I think. Where are you? Logan? He's Hunters. so underrated <sighs> as an actor. I think yeah. he's so good. And in this was maybe one of the first movies that was really, I mean, made that very evident yeah. that this kid's got chops. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is obviously the limitations of film versus book and really basically any situation is that we don't get nearly as much of Charlie's ruminations on things and really the extent of how, of his mental illness he is yeah, yeah you don't get this it's more the movie is kind of more like he's just having a hard time fitting in at least for right. the beginning. it's very cl- like that classic teen coming of age thing Correct. in the book he is i mean it, it and i think this is a you know a product like you said of it being a visual medium mm-hmm. where in the book he's very he's very like un, like kind of cringingly like awkward sometimes like it's it's hard to read sometimes about the things that he says and does yeah and he's crying all the time and this is all i mean this is all part of who charlie is and it's all part of him they take a lot of that out in the movie yeah and i think i think it's a a product of the visual medium i think it's harder to to watch yeah for that for some people but it 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 lessens who he is. It t- it diminishes him and it, it diminishes does. from his experience. So, yeah, I mean, I get it, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah. And like, it's still a valuable story to tell because you do get it at the end and it's so well done. The, mm-hmm. the montage of all of these moments, like flashing of the realization of what happened at, at the hands of Hint and Helen is so well done. And then him just breaking up, stop crying, stop crying is so, so good. You know, it's what, but I agree, it does lessen it. So it's, it's still a good story. It's just a different story, I think. But one of the things that really bothered me when I was looking again at reviews of the book were a lot of people who watched the movie and then were like, I'm going to read this book because I really liked the movie. Not liking Charlie as, why is he crying all the time? Or like, I don't like his writing style. And I was so disturbed by these reviews. And also a lot of reviews, like, engaging a lot of speculation in in terms of whether he was on, like, the spectrum based on how he's written in the book. And I just was very put off by that because I think you are missing what is a really special story as written in the book about a, a teen dealing with depression and anxiety. And I was so upset by that. Well, that's sort of displaying, like, a gross lack of empathy, isn't it? Well, yeah, that that too, but I, I think it that does also. My point was that it illustrates the difference between book Charlie and movie Charlie. Yeah, uh, it's we were just we were never going to get that same level from him. Well, yeah, because in the movie Charlie is like the average them, and mm-hmm. book Charlie is something else. That's yeah. Other people um, will see themselves in, but not maybe yeah. the average population of teenage boys, right? Um, I think for me, Patrick is the 
character that um, works most seamlessly from book to movie, um, Mm -hmm. both of how he's written. And then again, Ezra Miller is is just really great. Um, The scene, I knew it was coming, but the fight in the cafeteria after Brad calls him backward is not, mm, I did not like seeing it. It's Ezra Miller's just like face and reaction in that scene. Oh, it's 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 so, visceral. His, so his like physical reactions yeah. to to that scene. You can you can like see the adrenaline on him. Yeah, I I do like though. We talked about the sister kind of already. How? Yeah, I don't like how like she's hit by her boyfriend. Who I can't. It's the effect of succession. I cannot look at Nicholas Braun, who plays her ponytail boyfriend, who hits her in this movie, and just like not crack up because of his portrayal. <laughs> of cousin greg on succession so he looks like so ridiculous ponytail and it that took me out of it which is a me problem not a movie problem but i agree like the fact that then all of a sudden she's like she dumped him and like one stag to prom it's like okay whatever but i like that she and the brother have names like candace and chris i think Mm -hmm. and i like that they were both much more in tune to charlie like they know that he has this history of of mental illness and they 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 check in with him they're sensitive they're really to him. About him. And I really, I liked that because yes, other depicted in the book where they're kind of more like removed from their oddball little brother happens mm-hmm. all the time. But like, I think you or like when his sister calls him a freak all the time yeah. and which is like, it's hard, but like, that's real. I mean, yeah. like siblings are oftentimes I'm, I'm an only child. So what am I talking about? But I feel like siblings, <laughs> like siblings are often like your worst uh, enemy in a lot of ways. Cause they'll just say things to you. Um, but so I think it is nice too then to see maybe a more idealized version of siblings, which certainly sub- some siblings are like that. So I liked that for them. And then again, some other things like I think on the big moments in the book, which is actually like really beautiful, especially if you like play some of the music that's referenced in the book as you read, which I did. Um, but the uh, I felt infinite moment is beautiful in the book does not translate for me as well on screen comes off a little cheesy yeah like, I it, feel does, infinite. it does for sure actually speaking of the music this is just totally an aside so he, a lot of people have rightfully been like they didn't know heroes by david bowie like they spend this entire movie trying to like find the tunnel song and and steven jaboski has said like well i didn't like He's like, I understand, but like, I didn't know what it was and I couldn't find it like when I was that age. And I'm like, well, that's cool. That maybe makes sense for you. But these characters are all people that are like super into music, super into good music. Listen to that kind of music. How would they not know what what Heroes by David Bowie is? Well, and that is that a movie change, right? Like the whole nothing in the book. Well, (laughs) that and I think in the book, the song was Landslide. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So it was, yeah, that was a very bizarre movie. There are certain mm-hmm. things to do with the music that don't really make sense. So like this book, again, as I said, was set in the 91, 92 school year. And so like very like music based and these kids are all like super into music. And I did not like though in the movie at one point, Sam's like, I used to be really into the top 40. And I was like, all right, hold on a second. Let's not be too judgmental of the top right. 40 fans. Cause I'm and, and Patrick also is like, oh, you know, I used to be popular until Sam got me into good music. There's a yeah, lot, there's like a very music, but yeah. here's the thing that was also me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I have this in my notes actually that like, this is an indictment of my character yeah. maybe, but like, like I was definitely a Mary. I was like a combination of a Mary Elizabeth and a Charlie. 
but outwardly very much a Mary Elizabeth, very snobby about my music and my art and my counterculture shit which you know that's high school and you're out of it that happens and different people it doesn't mean you like can't get along for instance when we were trying to decide on the theme song for this podcast i texted tasia (laughs) what about like something inspired by like wildest dreams by taylor swift and you're like i never heard of that song (laughs) i never heard that song (laughs) like you can still be friends right with people who have different music tastes than you i just like to throw that out there because i think we are very different in that regard despite how much we have in common when it comes to books <laughs> but like that was one thing that was kind of weird about the movie like again the book is set in the 90s very clearly the movie is not as clear at all kind of like walks the line is like this is modern but also the 90s like they're still making mixtapes but they're mm-hmm. like if you just look at it visually I had no idea it was even like meant to be in the 90s. So like when Patrick says things at the end about how he's like going to go to school in Seattle because he wants to be close to the music scene there. I was like, that doesn't really translate as much to 2020 or 2012 even audience because like Uh the 90s was like Kurt Cobain and like all that happening in Seattle. Like that's different now. So yeah, that was kind of weird how it tried to like straddle the line between modern and in 90s and i don't know how all that worked um uh one thing i really liked was the rocky horror picture stuff um rocky horror is something i used to do a lot i I was never a performer but i used to go to it a lot and um it made me miss rocky really really bad right take me back so fun i i'm I love the songs that they did include it just made me want more like i but i loved um, obviously, like Ezra Miller was like great in that scene. Like I knew immediately. I was like, yeah. Oh my god! When I, as I was reading, because I knew he was was Patrick. I'm like, oh, he's gonna be so good uh, <laughs> in the movie. So I loved that part of it too. That was really fun. Um, I also like say switching back to Mary Elizabeth. I again have never seen this movie, and I knew the leads who they were because I like on all the posters and stuff. But like as I was reading the book, I pictured Mae Whitman as Mary Elizabeth. And so when I was like looking at the IMDb, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) She really is a perfect uh, Mary Elizabeth. Yeah, so good. I love her like letting uh, Charlie know that she's dating, uh, what is his name, Peter? She's dating Peter. (laughs) She's like, I know you're upset. And he's just like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, One thing I guess to go back to the book, one thing I really did love, Props to Book Peter, who is friends with Craig, Sam's asshole boyfriend who's cheating on her. And he is the one who calls him out and is finally like, no, like, not. and again, it is kind of like a, now that I know Sam, I don't like that you're doing this. But like, it's nice to have a guy stand up to his friend and be like, mm-hmm. no, like, don't do this to this girl. Yeah, so that was nice. Because he's still, he's still in the group because of, you yeah. know, his, his friendship with that guy. So yeah. I, I loved that he called him out. I wish that yeah. would have been... I mean, I guess it wouldn't have really worked with the movie because yeah. you would have had to really make Peter more of a character. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, I liked that in the books. I get why I was cut. Let's talk briefly about things I did not love in the movie. There's one really big thing that bothered me. So, like, uh, Charlie tells Sam about Michael who killed himself. And obviously, Sam, being an episode person, feels bad about this. But then, this is, like, at the first party, Sam and Patrick uh, take Charlie to. And you see a little like whisper moment between Sam and Patrick where she kind of says something like he doesn't have anyone else. And that's when like Patrick comes and like gives a toast to like Charlie. I don't like that because I don't like the suggestion that the foundation of their relationship is pity. Yeah. I feel like in the book, they have such a genuine connection and the mm-hmm. movie does seem to show that as time goes on, but I don't, I did not like that. Mm-mm. Opal agreement. Yeah. 
Which makes me sad too, because that's one of the things about like the author writing this is like, is that your, is that canon? Like, do I have to like think of it? Yeah. That was upsetting. And then, yeah, I did like the Sam stuff better as I talked about. What are your thoughts though on like the kiss at the end in the tunnel? Um, Unnecessary. Because I feel like that that moment was supposed to be more about um, Charlie letting go and Charlie finally doing that that tunnel thing, you know, and that was supposed to be a Charlie moment and yeah. uh, him being free moment. And they threw the kiss in. I felt like it didn't really make sense. It was just completely unnecessary. Yeah. And like it kind of for me, just I don't know that I love the idea or the thought that and this is, again, I think a further complication of Sam as a character. Did like her in a lot of ways better in the movie. Would they have a romantic thing? Like, I don't know that I buy that. I buy that, like, kind of how it works in the book is that she's like leaving for college. And again, we don't really have a clear sense of her motivations as we talked about, but like that that night, she's like, I'm gonna be with Charlie. But in the movie, they really played like, oh no, no, this is gonna be like a romance that's gonna happen. And I just mm-hmm. generally buy it. And I don't think it's necessarily because they didn't have chemistry, which I kind of thought that they did. I just like don't buy that those two characters senior sam freshman charlie charlie being charlie sam being sam like so that's ever like gonna work yeah no it doesn't it doesn't jive with me either i don't i don't feel a connection like that between them like i I get that charlie loves sam oh yeah and that makes sense to me that makes total sense to me but sam in any way reciprocating that does not make sense to me because like you said she's a senior she's now a freshman in college she's on just a different plane yeah than charlie is absolutely and um, I'm my other little thing I didn't like is that they cut that beautiful line from Bill, who is not called Bill in this. Just I don't even know what his last name is. Paul Rudd. Um, about Anderson, like, I think. Yeah. That like how special Charlie is. Like, it's fine. But mm-hmm. I did like that he was still there. I think there's a great moment too. This is not really in the book where like in the first class, Charlie knows the answers to all the questions he's asking, but he won't raise his hand. But uh, Mr. Anderson walks by and sees that Charlie's written the right answers. And that's kind of how he knows Charlie's smart. And then at the end, Mr. Anderson asks, like, is everyone going to read for fun over the summer? And Charlie raises his hand. I liked that moment mm-hmm. for him. Anyway, any any other movie thoughts here before we do our superlatives? No, I don't think so. Let's right. do it. Cool. So first thing for a favorite quote, I only have book ones. I don't know about you. You have a movie one. I have one movie one, I think. All right. Yeah. Let's do your um, book ones first. All right. So, I mean, an obvious one is we accept the love we think we yeah. deserve. I mean, even just removed from any context, it's it's a really good quote. Yeah. I like this one is my more serious one. This is from the last letter, pre the 20 year later epilogue letter. So I guess we are who we are for a lot of reasons, and maybe we'll never know most of them. But even if we don't have the power to choose where we come from, we can still choose where we go from there. We can still do things, and we can try to feel okay about them. Which is like the thesis statement of the book, and I think mm-hmm. it's a really good lesson. You have a funny one from the book. <laughs> my mom usually helps her aunt prepare the food, which my grandfather always calls too dry, even if it's soup. <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> Grandpa's such an asshole. Yeah. Um. I have this one, which is one after Charlie eats a pot brownie. <laughs> he, wants, he wants a milkshake and Sam makes him a milkshake. I have to say it was the best milkshake I ever had in my life. It was so delicious. It almost scared me. My dude, I have been there. 
<laughs> just like a relatable, like not even high. Like sometimes yeah. it's like, holy shit, like what did I just consume? Um, so I like that. And then what is your movie quote? <laughs> This one, like, I, I don't know why this gets me so bad. I just every time I think about it, I start cracking up again. It's so, it's such a fucking dad joke. But Charlie is asking his dad for money. And he says, Dad, can I have $30? His dad says, $20? Why do you need $10? It's so stupid. <laughs> I'm laughing about it again. Bill McDermott's uh, delivery of it is great, yeah, too. He's like is. totally really deadpan. Um, also, shouts to Bill McDermott, who is just. Dream, made, the the dad was so like hot. a nothing character in the he book was. almost, and and he made him so likable in the movie with just yeah. like a little tiny bit that he got. Yeah, well, also I just think he's a fox, though. So. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> favorite character and favorite character arc. Yeah, I think it's it's Charlie, but That's also uh, shout out to to Patrick, who I think also, like you said, has a very good arc here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a different answer, perhaps, for movie versus? Well, no. I'm, I'm I'm trying to think here. I, if I have to pick someone who's not Charlie or Patrick, I'm trying to think of like any side character we might meet. And I think I kind of do love Mary Elizabeth in both because yeah. her this idea of her just like talking nonstop and like not letting Charlie get a word in edgewise. And then she like breaks up with him because she thinks the relationship is too one-sided or like uh-huh. she says that to him after the breakup is just, it's high comedy to me. <laughs> <laughs> and props to her going to harvard i like that for her <laughs> rubbing that in everybody's faces I know. yeah she's funny i like her um all right <laughs> soon worthy moment i agree that as i said before this is like not the sooniest book but i think there are some nice moments you have i think the ultimate one here so i want to read that all right so this is uh obviously um sam and charlie in sam's room and she says i know that you know that i like craig And I know that I told you not to think of me that way. And I know that we can't be together like that. But I want to forget all of those things for a minute. Okay? Okay. I want to make sure that the first person you kiss loves you. Okay? Okay. She was crying harder now. And I was too. Because when I hear something like that, I just can't help it. I just want to make sure of that. Okay? Okay. And she kissed me. It was the kind of kiss that I could never tell my friends about out loud. It was the kind of kiss that made me know that I was never so happy in my whole life. I really like we didn't really talk about this moment at all no. in the episode. So we might as well right now. Yeah. But I love, love, love. I like could not love that moment more. Yeah. Because and she she's very clear about it. She's like, listen, this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it does mean something because I do love you on mm-hmm. whatever level it is of friendship, platonic love that I have for you. And I want to make sure that the first person that kisses you is somebody that loves you. I think that's such a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And it's just so sweet. And I I love that. Yeah, it's like kind of part romantic soon because it's romantic on Charlie's end, but it's kind mm-hmm. of platonic soon on Sam's end. Friendship soon is really important. And I think because I love that quote so much, I think that's why I have a little bit of harder time with like the movie and how it just like makes it very much about romance at the end. I think that their friendship mm-hmm. is really special and important as depicted in the book. So yeah, I love that moment too. And it comes on the heels of Sam talking about how she was like abused as a kid and mm-hmm. you know her first experiences were with like a friend of her her dad's and it it's a, a really lovely moment i like that a lot this is another sam moment that i really like and it talks about craig who taking a photograph of sam and it says it's like he would take a photograph of sam and the photograph would be beautiful and he would think that the reason that the photograph was beautiful was because of how he took it if i took it i would know that the only reason it's beautiful is because it's of sam 
And so I just, I really like that difference of, of Charlie like realizing like, no, I do really love her and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about her, which is, I think moments like that is why I don't like in the book where she's just like, you can't just like sit on the sidelines and like love someone in that way. It's like, well, Charlie like has really like gone to bat for you and has had a lot here, Sam. Um, we <laughs> told him not to outwardly. Yeah. So like, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to that as she told him not to. Right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> he was just being respectful. Yeah. But I do love that moment because again, it goes back to that, that thing where, he thinks so often about putting women on pedestals and how that's such a disservice to them. And it's dehumanizing, right. you know, it's like looking at this woman through the lens of a camera and not like looking at her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Charlie yeah. is uh, in some ways like very emotionally immature, but in uh, many other ways, very emotionally mature. So, yeah. And I think that's totally fitting. Like you're a teen, you're growing mm-hmm. up and I really, I like how that's all done. Um, all right. Cool. We did it. We uh, did it. This was really fun. I'm glad that we went back to more of a classic. That was really fun. I think we want to do that again in the future. But because we are who we are, can't tear us away from the fantasy for too long. So, Tasia, would you like to announce what we are covering next? All right. So, in two weeks, we will be covering Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueco with a special guest, a returning special guest. Yes. So, uh, we're really excited to to dive into that and, and return back to our, our fantasy roots, I guess. But we'll be back in the morning. We'll never tear us away. <laughs> I know, but we'll be back in contemporary YA someday. But until then, Tasia, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RagyCakes. You can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. And if you would not mind rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you po- uh, listen to your podcasts, uh, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Otherwise, until next time, friends, have a good one. Bye. Bye.